0: And we are back. It's good to be back. Been off for a while. You're going to enjoy this one. Got a lot to talk about. And I wanted to, first of all, say uh, welcome to season two of Federal Workers' Comp Coffee Break Podcast. So uh, get your pen and paper out. And today we're going to kick in uh, a lot of talk about COVID and lots of changes coming down the pipe for COVID a little bit about updates on podcast news so without further ado if you're ready we're going to talk about processing claims for COVID-19 and the OWCP changes for January of 2023 all right so hi good to talk to you again Uh, I've got lots of emails and messages over the holidays and um and uh, you guys motivated me a lot. So um, let's start there, and we're going to talk about some things there uh, before we dive into today's topic about the new 2023 guidelines for COVID-19 It's starting January 27th. So uh, first, let's start off by saying welcome to Federal Workers' Comp Coffee Break Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Taylor, the Federal Workers' Compensation Consultant, where here at this podcast, we discuss all sorts of topics related to Federal Workers' Comp, OWCP, FECA Act, Department of Labor, Longshore, and any other type of federal workers' compensation, including DOD and VA stuff. Uh, I do it in a short coffee break format because we like to discuss common topics related to filing an appropriate claim, rules of provision, rights and responsibilities, and then I also like to cover topics and uh, things that I think are tips on how to successfully navigate federal workers comp assistance and how to manage and assist you with your claims and whatever level of denial that you're experiencing with. Uh, So before we get started today, let me start off by saying this. Um, I I, I took three months off because um, I didn't know for a fact that um, this was needed, that people still wanted more episodes after having over 30-something episodes from season one covering the most of the topics that most people run into. I don't know if it was something that I needed to continue. I had an outpouring during Christmas uh, break of people saying, hey, where you been? Where's the next one? Had over a thousand downloads when I hadn't put anything out, and that surprised me. So there's an audience for it, and there's an audience that um, has asked me to continue, and um, I was caught off guard with that. I didn't... uh, I didn't expect that because it's such a nuance. This is a you know topic that very few people, It'll never be very super popular, it's only for government employees and people that work for the VA and Department of Defense and contractors and longshoremen. So very few people are going to be interested in this outside of a very small niche community that work for the United States government. Um, and even then, these are related to retirement benefits and disability benefits and work injury-related benefits and So, it's a smaller audience. It's not intended to be thousands of people. So, when I get thousands of downloads, I'm a little surprised by that. But I did, and I had a lot of really nice emails saying nice things about the work. And I decided, okay, I'm going to go through my backlog and say, what what topics should I go over that you guys are interested in? And that's where we're going to start today. So, uh, season one, first episode, I'm going to talk about... The FECA bulletin number 23 02 that came out in late December over the holidays. That particular FECA bulletin was the, cha- the change in OWCP for processing claims associated with COVID 19 diagnosis while being at work. So, this is a work related incident, an occupational illness because you caught COVID one of the SARS COVID variants while working for the government in some capacity, either as a contractor, DOD, VA, post office, all the government divisions under the Department of Energy, OWCP, you name it. It's all covered here. They're going to make some drastic changes to what we've been operating under for the last two years. So let's dive in and talk about the changes. Now, this is pretty thick, so you want to take notes. So remember, uh, in uh, 2021, about March, They came up with what's called ARPA, the American Rescue Plan Act, and this is OWCP. When they signed that into law, the legislation was streamlined so that federal workers who did get exposed to COVID-19 would be able to establish coverage under FECA, the Federal Employment um, Comp Administration, and that federal workers comp division created a bulletin 2109 and it incorporated these provisions for kind of emergency authorization use for the last two years and so during that time they were giving us a pretty broad ability to file claims for covid related exposures and the illnesses and that is now going to expire literally in a few days so in accordance with all that they decided that they wanted to reduce all their federal workers' comp claims, because obviously they had a lot of them, by making it a little tougher for you to be successful, imagine that. So now they're going to make some changes that have been out in this new bulletin that we talked about, this 2302. So these guidance provisions are going to go back to more of a traditional OWCP style of acceptance or denials, okay? So the new policy for COVID-19 diagnosis or exposure as an occupational illness now needs to be filed um, as uh, the traditional CA2 as an occupational illness, and it's going to be now done after January 27th of 2023. That the claim is going to be based on merits with the five elements that have a traditional OWCPP, OWCP claim. Remember, the five elements have to do with were you at the job, uh, were you gainfully employed, were you doing the performance of your normal duty at the time that you're exposed. Um, the causality is the causation associated with factors that are work-related. So all of these elements Okay, uh, that we've always had with OWCP now are going to be applicable to COVID-19, which is very complicated. That's not going to be easy. So what they're going to do now is that they want you to file it under a CA-2 because they believe in most cases this is clearly going to identify an exposure. Now, there are going to be some problems with that because some people might have only been exposed on one day. And so there are ways to file a CA-1, but most people are going to file it as a CA-2. And again, this is straight out of their bulletin. I'm going to go over what I think about this, but I'm going to go through the official documents first. So if you are a incident where you're exposed to known COVID variants, people who already are carriers and it's known, and then you subsequently in that area get a COVID-19 respiratory virus exposure and illness, and you're going to file a claim, if it happens over a period of time, more than one single day work shift, it's a CA2. If it's a CA1, it would be you could prove that it happened on that day, and you can already see the problem with that. That's very hard to say. Well, I got it on Wednesday, but you worked around that person for five days in a row in that week, and they were sick the whole week. So you can see how hard that is to tie to an incident as a CA1 because those circumstances are now going to be difficult to establish. So I think the exception the way they're reading it is this. Form CA-1 may be used only if the event alleged to have caused your COVID-19 diagnosis is identifiable as to ta- time and place of occurrence. That means you have to have a specific event or an incident of series of events in a single work shift. And if there is no clear identifiable incident or incidents over a single day or work shift to which you, the injured worker, can attribute your exposure and subsequent positive test. Then the OWCP new guidelines say everybody needs to use a CA-2. Now, if a claim is submitted on a CA-1 and you can identify an incident on a CA-1, you can do that. But understand only then would you be administratively allowed to have continuation of pay. And if you need to know more about continuation of pay, go back to the COP broadcast that we did last year in Season 1. You could do electronic filing through e-comp that's still the same Continuum patient you know pay where the agency is directed to us process your normal um, pay for the first 45 days starting on day two of a ca1 single incident filing you would get paid your regular work uh, your regular paycheck for 45 days calendar days um, if you could get successful filing of a ca1 that was tied to an incident if it's a ca2 you're not eligible for COP. Now, creating of cases involving COVID-19 diagnosis. Here's here's some of the complication and the, the, the material I want to go over. Cases involving CO uh, of COVID-19 after 27th of this year, 2023, will now be given a case indicator of what's called a CVD. <clears throat> cases involved with COVID-19 are now going to have a prefix of 5.5 and they're going to have a case indicator of CVD. So you're going to see things with a 55 or a 19 or a CVD in the, the case file number. Now, the adjudication procedures are going to go back to what we've always done with OWCP and Federal Workers' Comp. You're going to have to meet all of the five element requirements that has to be fully developed. As, uh, and there's no longer emergency use authorization or provisions so that you can be treated right away. I'm gonna talk about the problems that creates in a minute, but let's just continue. So remind yourself of the five elements. That means a claim has to be filed within the time limits that it established. You have to prove that you're working as an employee and you're eligible. The claimant has to provide evidence of a diagnosis of COVID-19. They have to actually have experienced the events or employment factors, and they have to prove that under evidentiary requirements. And the alleged incident or events or exposure employment factors have to be done, have to be proven that you were performing your normal performance of duty requirements. Um, And then you're going to have to have the fifth element, the one that's mostly uh, causal relation stuff that has to be documented by your physician it's going to have to be another medical narrative establishing that the condition manifested itself during a period of federal employment and that the claimant's work factors did indeed cause or aggravate this condition into this COVID-19 diagnosis. Now, all of those are traditional factors, but COVID exposure is not a traditional case in any way because we're still aggregating empirical data about what the symptoms are and what the treatments are and there's lots of politicization of this there's lots of debate there's lots of symptoms that are forming in latency periods that are you know in you know not only are they being developed but then it's argu- they're arguing whether or not they're related or not because there is no book on this in medical school. So the FICA procedure manual right now is crediting that you have to meet the five elements, but that's just to say that you were exposed to COVID, that you had a positive diagnosis. If you have any symptomatology associated with that, that certain symptoms, exactly. If you develop a cough or fever, those are simple and easy. But if you develop migraines and muscle aches and memory fog and clotting and heart problems and all the things that we're starting to see with this thing, your doctor's going to have to do medical necessity and causalgia, And guys, that's gonna be rough. So there's a new, uh, the new process is going to be kind of difficult the way we're used to with OWCP. Now, if a claimant alleges that their COVID-19 is a result of say sitting next to an individual that tested positive COVID-19, which is probably the most common, OWCP may accept that as fact that the claimant sat next to the individual, but was sitting next to that individual supported by his performance of duty requirements and was he clocked in and then at the time is it proven that he was performing his job activities? Can you see how convoluted this is gonna be? But that's the new standard. So the specialized requirements to establish a diagnosis of COVID-19 are going to go on through a much more difficult requirement. So let's talk about the screening. In order to establish a diagnosis of COVID-19, you're going to have to have a positive polymerase, poly, polymerase chain reaction, sorry, Southern Boy Mix, has trouble talking some time, are PCR tests commonly called, or the antigen COVID 19 test, which is not the classic PCR test. Or you have to have a positive antibody COVID 19 test together with contemporaneous medical evidence and narrative that the claimant has documented symptoms and or was treating or needs to be treated by a physician. Um, if a positive PCR antigen or antibody test is not available, a COVID 19 diagnosis from a physician together with rationalized medical opinion supporting the diagnosis and an explanation as to why the positive test result is not available could be accepted. But I, I I think that would be certainly rare, but it could be, but you're going to need some level of positive testing. And then you're going to have to demonstrate that any symptoms that you have are associated with COVID. So as usual, you have to be OWCP approved physician. And if you use nurses or PAs or nurse practitioners Uh, you can do that. Just make sure that they get an MD or DO to co-sign it for the validity of establishing the claim. I know if you go to Health at the VA or you go to work, you know, HR at another division, um, they have some of those kind of staff there and that's all fine. Just make sure that those tests are confirmed by an MD or DO to establish your claim. All right. Now, Uh, There is no acceptance of self-administered COVID-19 tests that was being allowed earlier. It is not allowed anymore. So the at-home tests are out. They're insufficient to establish a COVID-19 under the FECA Act under this new bulletin and provision. That is because there's no way for FECA claim staff to affirmly establish that the date and time the sample was collected matches the date and time the federal employee is making the claim. So you see the problem. Claims accepted by COVID-19 diagnosed after the 27th of 2023 will be included in the annual chargeback billing. So COVID-19 claims filed or adjudicated under these new ARPA standards uh, where COVID diagnosis is diagnosed on or before January 27, 2023 will be accepted under ARPA, but they will be flagged with a 19 prefix and non-chargeable in the FICA database meaning it will be not be included included in annual chargeback billing now this bulletin is to be retained and and it's going to be incorporated into the permanent FICA procedure manual instead of just being a provision that's been legislated so the department of labor has posted a reminder that these provisions right now will expire January 23rd, the old ones, under terms of 2021, and the new ones will be legislated in the DFEC procedure that we're talking about right now from this bulletin that starts on January 27, 2023. So it's clear this is going to be finalized. This is the final version. It's also going to be god-awful hard to establish some of these requirements for five elements. So the law Provides that a federal employee diagnosed with COVID-19 under federal law who carried out duties that required contact with patients or members of the public or coworkers or include a risk of exposure to the virus within 21 days prior to the diagnosis is deemed to have an injury that is approximately caused by employment for establishing eligibility. However, that applies only to people right now. As of January 27th of 2023, all that's out the window and it all goes back to the five elements that we talked about so in accordance with the clear congressional intent here what you have now is the old-fashioned five basic elements are going to have to be established for adjudication that you've got COVID, and that all of the symptoms that you're complaining of have to be proven through medical causation narrative by your physician explaining how those symptoms are casually related To the positive COVID diagnosis and that's going to be a battle because there's no there's no guidebook on this so it's going to be an interesting standard now for diagnosis after that date employees will have to establish eligibility and those are having to be found by meeting all the employment factors the requirements of the first four elements and the medical narrative and the fact that the condition manifests itself during a period of federal employment does not necessarily guarantee approval. So the belief that the claimant believes that the factors of employment caused it is insufficient. So you have to demonstrate with medical narrative that the causal relationship can be tied to a range of exposure, dates of more than one shift, or an incident of exposure on one shift as a CA1 or CA2. And then you have to explain if you have any difficulty in getting over the fever and the infection, and you have the latent long COVID symptoms, you're gonna to have to demonstrate medical necessity, medical authorization, and casual relationship to any of those additional symptoms. So these are going to be tough, guys. This is a new standard, and I'm gonna to have to create a Bible kind of guideline, and I'll probably do this on a later podcast. Which does establish the uh, the the necessary requirements to meet the five elements for this, based on what they're saying. So, um, I didn't pour my coffee today. I just forgot. Got so carried away and been a little rusty. I didn't pour our coffee like we used to do. I'll be sure and remember to pour coffee next time. But I think that does it for this episode. I'll uh, I'll be coming up with some new topics and some new material here in the next coming weeks and we'll get started back into our one or two a month podcast. So, I want to say thank you first of all for listening. And I want to remind you to share this podcast with other federal workers you think would benefit from this information. And also, remember if you need an approved medical provider for your DOL OWCP or long-short case in Florida, you can find me at a couple of locations in Tampa and Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, soon to be in Sarasota, and as you've already heard in other cases, Oklahoma. Um, to make a consult with me, just discuss your case, or if you know someone in Florida who you think would benefit from uh, reaching out to me, you can call me at the clinic, 813-877-6900. Also, if you're in another state and you want me to assist you with your claim, you can email me. Uh, for assistance for your doctor in your state at Fed Comp Consultants, That's F-E-D-C-O-M-P as in Paul, consultants at ProtonMail.com. get lots of those, and I appreciate those, and I help out people all the time, and I help out their doctors all the time. All right, so I need to go warm up this coffee and get going, and as usual, I want to thank all of you guys for listening, and I first and foremost want to thank all of you. Put on that u- uniform uh, deliver that mail, put on that badge, take care of our veterans and make this government run. This is my thank you. It's a big thank you. I've been doing this for 28 years now and I want to retire one of these days and I want this to be my gift to others that want to continue to treat federal workers' comp injuries. So this is something I do for free just for you. And for those of you I can't help around the country, I do it for free for your doctor. So. Without further ado, I guess we'll call it a day. And remember, if you have a federal workers' comp claim and you need assistance, I'm here to help. So see you next time. I'm off to get my coffee warmed up. So keep sending those emails and questions and comments. And if you want me to discuss a particular topic, let me know. And uh, I'll uh, include it in my wheelhouse. And I appreciate hearing from you. And I'll uh, put it in the next podcast. See you later.